Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, August 12th. Just going to be me on the podcast today as I am still in my hotel room in Mason, Ohio, covering this year's 2019 Western and Southern Open in Cincinnati, the Masters 1000 event for the men, the premier mandatory event for the women. It was a thrilling day, too. In terms of the action, we had the second round of qualifying. We also had a couple of first-round matches sprinkled in. But we had our first big press availability day. A lot of the top 10 guys, we had 15 minutes as a media roundtable gaggle. We got the chance to ask questions. And look, I've had so much fun recording podcasts over the years. It's obviously why we at Cracked Rackets uh, continue to do it so much because we think it's such a thrill to get the chance to talk to players of all lengths, you know, from juniors to college to the professional levels. But just personally, let me say as a tennis fan, what a f***ing thrill it was for me today. Really a dream come true to get the chance to ask a question to a Roger Federer, a Novak Djokovic type, to listen to them interact with members of the press, be in the room for the first time to see how those interactions go down. You know, I, I now imagine as a media member, you don't get just availability with these top guys whenever. So when you have your 15 minutes, you, you've got to ask your questions. There are many topics, obviously ATP player council, a lot of turmoil. So That was a big subject with Djokovic, Federer, both on the council. Those questions came up. Andy Murray, a former member of the council, but someone who's been outspoken on many issues facing tennis right now. He was asked about those issues. You know, he says he's not going to go back to the player council, but I'll get into all of that later. The point is, what a thrill for me today. We'll talk about that, and, you know, I'll get into personally why it was so exciting, but before we get into any of that... I am well aware the Rogers Cup in Montreal came to a conclusion. Not the most, you know, exciting results, really not that much to talk about. So we'll just kind of go through them quickly in the women's singles. Not even much anything to talk about tennis-wise. Bianca Andreescu, who's had such a good year, I believe, when she's on, you know, she's suffered injuries, but she won earlier in the year, I believe, in Miami. She, uh, When she plays, she's like 32-4 and four coming into this event. And she comes into this unseeded, she wins the tournament. She, you know, she beats Kennan yesterday. Today, she beats Serena 3-1 via retirement. But Bianca Andreescu, you could argue, and I believe Matt Zemek did on Twitter, she's been the best WTA player on the hard courts this season. When she plays, she just doesn't lose. And I, I think with this title, she goes up to career high number 14, maybe number 12. I don't remember exactly, but... I mean, this girl's the real deal. If she's healthy, she's 100% a candidate to take home the, you know, her first Grand Slam in New York. And with her, with Osaka, with Barty, who, you know, first round lost here, but the, the Osaka-Serena match, uh, so Osaka in contention. We know Barty, that's her first first round loss of the year. We imagine she'll rebound. I'll get the chance to see her in Cincinnati. Get, she has press availability today, so hopefully I'll get the chance to ask her some questions. Uh, Again, another player in this loaded WTA that, you know, there's storylines galore. We we actually had the chance to talk to Kiki Burton's coach, and, you know, he was asked about how many players are competing and contending right now and why, you know, what are, what's the best storyline on the WTA? And he said, there's, there's too many to pick from. And he's really right. Each week, there's a new story. There's a new player emerging or someone still, you know, Simona Halep winning Wimbledon feels like ages ago because it just seems week in, week out, we get a new player stepping forward. And that's what's made this WTA season so much fun. 
Now, on the men's side for the Rogers Cup, we did get a match today, but it was a bit of a blowout. Uh, Rafa Nadal taking home another back-to-back title at the Rogers Cup, knocking off next-gen guide, number 8 seed, Daniil Medvedev, 6-3-6-0. For Medvedev, just quickly on this match, you know, he's so so long, so physically fit, 6-6. He's got great feel. He'll make his opponents uncomfortable. He'll throw junk at them to keep them off balance. But Rafa Nadal's the one guy you can't get away with that. You have to have a weapon. You have to have a way to take time away from him, make him uncomfortable, force him to play defense, because if you let him get comfortable, let him get in a rhythm, he's just going to yank you all around the court. And so for Rafa, that's just what he did. Medvedev didn't serve well enough. A guy 6'6", you'd think he'd have the serve to compete, but you know, too often he'd throw in a forehand slice, and the second you slice against Nadal, you really have lost the point because now he's in control. He's gotten so much better at moving forward, taking time away. Medvedev also likes to play six feet behind the baseline, and if you give Nadal space, he's going to take it. Now, Dominic Team on a hard court, we saw him last year at the U.S. Open, you know, camp six feet behind the baseline. But there's a difference between him and Medvedev. Dominic Team, when he's playing his best tennis, produces such powerful strokes that he can still penetrate the court from that uh, position. Daniil Medvedev will stay alive, will keep the point at neutral, but neutral's not good enough against Rafa Nadal. And again, with these next-gen guys, it's not that—and I'm not trying to say Daniil you know, makes a final here. This is an unbelievable run for him, solidifies him as— if not a contender to win the U.S. Open on the men's side, certainly a contender to make quarterfinals, semifinals, earn himself his first you know, late run at a major in his career. Um, but he needs a weapon to turn to. It, it, he has to make things easier for himself because he likes to you know, play around with his food, throw in a drop shot, lob combo. And you can do that against a lot of players, but you can't do that against Rafa, against Djokovic, against Federer, against Prime Murray, who's making his singles return today in Cincinnati. If you think I'm not excited, you're crazy. Um, but yeah, that's really all of my thoughts on that. We've seen this book before. Rafa's really good. He's pulling out of Cincinnati, which you can understand. He, he's shown what he needs to in the warm for the U.S. Open, but he's got to keep those knees as fresh as possible. As we saw last year, they gave him trouble come the second week. Uh, but really interesting Rogers Cup. A lot can be learned from it. We saw next-gen guys step up when you know they had the space, they had the opportunity, no Djokovic, no Federer, no Anderson, no Delpo, and, you know, we saw Kiachinov, Zverev, Medvedev, all of these guys make the quarterfinals or later, and that's certainly a step forward. So great result there, a great tournament in Montreal and Toronto, as always. All right, now let's talk Cincy. Let's get the play out of the way quickly. I'm going to run through uh, yesterday's results, talk about who, the winners and the losers. We'll start with the women's singles, where there were, again, only qualifying matches, in terms of the winners, Iga Swatik knocks off Wang in three sets, 6-4, 3-6, Diaz over Pegula, 6-7, 7-6, Sharma over Maddox Sands, 6-4, 6-4. And I'll say this for Bethany Maddox Sands because I actually did. You know, it, it was hard between – because I really wanted to ask questions. I was like, this is why I'm here, to be a member of the press, to ask questions that I don't normally get to ask. I get to see as much – you know, I can watch tennis whenever, but the chance to ask Roger Federer a question. So I hope you listeners will understand why a little less tennis dense uh, in terms of breaking down coverage – or breaking down matches today. Astra Sharma at 4-4 four and four over Maddox Sands. Astra Sharma, the Vanderbilt product, uh, uh, you know, always partial towards college tennis players on this podcast – 
But Maddox Sands, she tried to come forward. She tried to play aggressive and just too many approach shots in the center of the court. And all of these players are so good that you just can't leave balls in the center like that. So for Astra Sharma, the way she survived uh, Bethany Maddox Sands, the way she kept putting that extra ball in play because Maddox Sands kept giving her opportunities to do so, it was just really impressive. That's what you have to do to qualify for this sort of event. It was a level of play. I was, you know, we've seen Astro Sharma have success, really, a uh, really high level of success professionally on the double circuit. But you just see all of her skills. She can do so many things well, and that's why that was a really fun match to watch. Uh, but moving on, Lauren Davis, a one and four winner over Pliskova. We talked about Davis's win last night over Christian. I mean, same thing over Pliskova. She's just a fighter. Like, good luck beating her. I just. She makes matches physical. It's outdoors here. It's hot. It's you know you're in that sun. You, I can only imagine when it feels like on court. On the, you're sitting on a bleacher and you're like, oh my god, my tuchus is on fire. Like this is ridiculous. And you can only imagine what it's like to be playing and moving and sweating. So good luck playing her in this heat. Jennifer Brady, probably the most impressive player I saw in qualifying. She's a two six six three six four winner over Lynette. Again, partial towards college players, but. She's got so many skills. She's so physically fit, but she can hurt you in so many different ways. She's not afraid to play defense, but if you give her chances, she's moving forward. That sort of diversity of shot selection is what you need to compete in the modern game, and she can do it all, so it's really impressive. Uh, Peterson, 2-1 winner over Stritskova. Jabour, uh, 3-0 over Petkovic. And Kudermatova, 6-2, 6-1 over Puig. Now on to the men, and again, a few first rounds all sprinkled in, but we'll start with the qualifying here. Uh, you look, Andre Rublev, who got a walkover yesterday over Tomic, 3-6, 6-4, 6-3, winner over Kukushkin. I've watched a Rublev practice session. I watched this match. Check out this guy's forehand. I mean, Medvedev and Kiachnov get all of, have a lot of publicity right now for Russian tennis, and they deserve it. They're both top 10 players. They've both been outstanding over, you know, two of the best 10 players probably over the past two seasons in the aggregate uh and I don't think that's unfair to say by the way if you disagree please let me know but Andre Rublev was the one who broke through first Andre Rublev was the one who was the world junior number one Andre Rublev was the one who reached the quarterfinals of the U.S. Open in 2017 do not forget about this guy because his forehand is special just the way he generates spin pace power it's unbelievable. And look, the backhand's getting better. It's a little flat, but he's comfortable now changing directions with it. He loves going up the line. He's clearly been working on moving forward, as so many of these guys have. I talked about it yesterday. Watching Taylor Fritz, you know, we rip on Fritz's volleys, but Fritz is practicing approaching and volleying at all of times. So people are naive if they think he's not working on those sort of things. But for Andre Rublev, the sort of power he can produce, it's special. I watched his practice, you know, the people who really stuck out. And I saw everyone from, you know, Djokovic to Jao Sosa practice. And the people who, who really stuck out for just the way they strike the ball, FAA, his forehand, I've never seen anything like it. Andre Rublev. Again, it's a different sort of pace than uh, FAA, but I've never seen anything like it. I mean, these guys are just special talent, so be on the lookout for them. And Rublev, he made a final. I think he beat Garin. He beat uh, Team. He beat one other guy uh, in Hamburg uh, a couple of weeks ago on the red clay. So he's regaining his form is all I'm saying. Speaking of regained form, a guy who seems to just have maintained his form for the past 40 years. Uh, yeah, and he was born at six foot and hitting serves out of the womb. Poor, poor mom if he was born at six foot. But um, Ivo Karlovic, a 7'6", 6'7", 6'4", winner over Philip Kohlschreiber. 
I mean, he's Evo. Enough said. Uh, Miomir Kasmenovic, another next-gen guy who's had a lot of success at Masters events this year. 7-6-6-0 over Feliciano Lopez. Uh, Kasmenovic, just, again, a guy can do a lot of things really well. Look out for him, former world junior number one. Yoshi Nishioka, our guy at Cracked Rackets. We got to spend time with him last year at Stowe. Max Rothman missed eight serves in a row, but on the ninth one, he aced him. He was a 6-4-0-6-6-4 winner over Jao Sosa, as I mentioned, to qualify. Casper uh, Rude, 6-7-7-5-6-3 over Del Bonis, and Rude had, I believe, set points, or at least he was serving for the first set, so to lose that first set in that way and come back, big step up from the next-gen guy here. And Dennis Kudla, who seems to have a ton of success uh, at Cincy, qualifying, I believe, the past three years now, a 6-3-4-6-6-3 winner over Lexi Popperin. Again, just, you forget, when you watch these guys, they're all so freaking good, and like, I don't know how you can beat them. Unless you have a definitive weapon that you're not missing, it's very, very difficult to beat Dennis Kudla, and that's why he's been in the top 100 these past three years and just hovering around there because he's so such a solid player for Popper, and he's got weapons, but he's just got to rein it in. A little too many errors. You know, Kudla was the steadier of the two. That's how he got the victory. And my last qualifying match on the men's side, uh, you talk about uh, a guy who has captured the heart of the Cincinnati fans. He's a hometown Cincinnati kid. He went, obviously, and was an All-American recently at Ohio State University. Recently turned pro, J.J. Wolf, who has a huge crowd turn up for him for a round two qualifying match, 11 a.m. on a Saturday. Uh, I made this comment via Twitter, but I'm going to repeat it here. For those who think college tennis isn't beneficial for tennis, you're crazy. I mean, I saw the Cole Schreiber-Karlovich match. There was maybe 30 people in the crowd. Oh, a little more than 30 because the grounds were full. But I'm saying it, this is a qualifying match. Qualifying. And J.J. Wolf's filling the grandstand. It's just, it's absolutely a, a, a benefit. It's the sort of thing uh, that... It's why I just think comprehensively team tennis is good for tennis because you build these connections with players. And the point is the crowd was very much for J.J. Wolf, but I'm getting distracted. J.J. loses to Pablo Carreno Busta, 6-3-4-6-6-2. I mean, it's, it was a physical thing. PCB just—Wolf had the weapons. He had chances, but PCB just makes that extra ball one too many times. And it's great to see J.J. compete at that level. Uh, but it's just, you know, he's still working his way there. There's a lot of really good takeaways for him. I thought the serve, the forehand, you know, he attacks. When he sees his ball, he goes after it. And that, that's that's his quantity. You know, I just talked about it with Medvedev. You need to have, now I'm not saying J.J. Wolf has Medvedev upside. I, I think it's way too early to see what J.J. Wolf can do on the pros. Um, but he's confident and he's going to attack. He's confident in his style. And that is, uh, you know, that sort of, uh, quality is very important as you are working your way up the tennis ladder. Uh, the the first round matches real quick. John Isner seven six one six seven five over the Deuce Dusan Lajevic. Alex Dimenauer six seven six one six two over Chechenato. I'll say this about Dimenauer. Uh, you know, compared to Riley Opelka, compared to Taylor Fritz, compared to a lot of these guys on a TV screen, he looks tiny. He's also got that baby face, and he's like twenty twenty one years old, so it makes sense. But he is a full six foot, and he is—he's—he's he's not thick, 
but he's built. I mean, he's a professional athlete, and you wonder why he's so quick? See him in person. This guy's got the muscle. There's not an ounce of fat on him. He is the real deal, and yeah, he just outlasted Chechenanto there. A good match, but a very good win for Dimenauer after a disappointing first-round loss in Canada following that Atlanta title. Uh, again, third round for him. That's got to be third round or later. That's got to be the goal at this U.S. Open, and I expect him, uh, you know, draw a dependent, but I expect we'll see him there. All right, the last thing I want to do, the thing I'm most excited about doing, let me take you inside the press room. So, again, yesterday, media roundtables for the top guys at Cincy. Uh, the Order, Andy Murray, Novak Djokovic, Roger Federer, uh, Kei Nishikori, Stefano Tsitsipas, and then Alex Zverev. Uh, I'm, I, I'm, I won't get into every conversation in depth because then we'll be on this podcast for an hour, and I'm very tired. i got to go to bed. Uh, i got to do this all tomorrow uh, on Monday as well. Um, but it was a thrill. I mean, it was everything you... And maybe this is me fanboying, and I apologize for doing that for a second, but it was just to be in that room, to see these guys, hear the questions, the response, the candidness. You could tell, you know, they, they, they look you in the eyes when they're answering the question. It, it was just the whole process to me, watching journalists ask questions about certain stories or certain angles, just seeing it all in person. It was very educational, so I really appreciate that aspect. But getting into the specifics of the conversation... You know, for Andy Murray, I mentioned the Players' Council. That was a topic, but it was also about his hip, about working back into singles, about playing doubles. Uh, Will he continue to do that as he's trying to work back from singles? Why did he decide now is the time? Um, What's different about his game now versus uh, before the injury? All of these different things. And, you know, for Andy, he looked confident. He looked happy. He looked ready to get back in the singles. Now, he tempered expectations. He said, there are certain things I can't do as well as I used to. I imagine a lot of them are movement-centric. But we'll see. I mean, this is a guy who... He just looks so happy to be back in the thick of things. You could tell he's excited to get his single start. He matches up with a guy in Gasquet today that he's seen many times before. Um, and so it'll be it'll be interesting to watch his comeback. Now, for Djokovic, you know, there were questions about, obviously, the ATP Player Council, what led to the resignations. There's the trust amongst the group, it sounded like, had really frayed to the point where they felt like a change needed to be made. And Djokovic talked about how he's excited to have Federer, Nadal, you know, the top three players in the game as advocates for the sport. And he was pushed, you know, why are the top three players as opposed to maybe other representatives, you know, why are the top three guys best suited for this role? And he talked about, you know, look, they're also professional tennis players. They, They need to focus on themselves too. But they have that experience. They understand, you know, they've been through all the highs and the lows of the, well, maybe not the lows, but they certainly understand what it takes to succeed at the ATP level, what, you know, what it takes to draw fans in, to have that sort of appeal to a broader base. And, you know, there were questions about should ATP players unionize? He said it's probably too soon to see that. They have a big meeting in New York that he's very excited for, and it sounds like out of that there will be much more storyline and much more of a concrete plan of what's going to happen moving forward. But he was very candid about all of it, and I appreciate it. I had the chance to ask Djokovic a question. I asked him about the trend of these next-gen players. They all seem to be in that 6'4 to 6'6 range. Uh, and does he think that's the way the game's going? Do you, do what, does he think you're going to have to be that size in the future to compete with the top players in the game? He gave a very candid answer. I don't want to spoil content. If you want the full question, go check out our website, CrackedRackets.com, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. I'm sure we'll all be posted on there by the time this podcast is published. Um, but I, 
it, it was it was cool. Uh, it was very fun to ask Novak Djokovic a question. Go check that out. Um, for Federer, you know, right off the bat, is how are you feeling? We haven't seen you since Wimbledon, and he talked about, look, I took nine days off. I did have flashbacks of those moments. Of course, I thought about blowing the match points and. I needed to take a break for myself, but I, he, you know, he said he felt good. He said he feels ready for this hardcore push. He feels motivated. He loves coming to Cincy. Someone asked him about if he was at Costco, seen at Costco buying grapes. Turns out it was not him. So apparently there's a Federer doppelganger going around Cincinnati. Uh, it was not me who asked that question. I know that sounds like a Gruskin question, but I promise that one was not me. I did ask him a question, which, again, check out on our website, CrackedRackets.com, mostly Twitter and Instagram. I'm sure those are both going to be there. Um, but it was it was just, again, he, he, he seems to be so just in a place where he's so confident about his game, so happy going out there and just playing at the level he is that he he, uh, he looks as good as ever. If it was him and Djokovic in the semifinals of this tournament or finals, I don't think that'll shock anyone. Um, but yeah, we had that. We Then we did, I believe Nishikori came next. Nishikori, uh, we t- he talked about his elbow injury, how he hurt it before Wimbledon. He's, you know, being careful with it now. He's trying a bunch of different things. I got the chance to ask him about the sleeve he wore in Montreal. Was that, you know, preventative, experimental? He said yes to both of those. You know, he's still looking for different methods to rehab his shoulder and, you know, be conscious of that as he gets ready for the U.S. Open push. He did say he was not a fan of the style of the sleeve. He's ready to give that up. Um, That was a me question, Rothman-inspired, I might add. And so... He talked about his relationship with Michael Chang. He talked about uh, how his fellow countryman, the first Japanese player to win a junior slam earlier this year at Wimbledon, and just what it's like to hit with all of the IMG kids who, you know, he, they talked about clearly look up to him and uh, what it, why he continues to make IMG in Bradenton his home base. Uh, so very cool. Uh, again, a guy, he, he seems tired, but he, you know, a, a bit worn down, but certainly ready for this home stretch. But speaking of worn down, the next guy we talked to, Stefano Tsitsipas, I mean, you could tell right away. He was very candid. He said, look, I've played a ton of tennis this year. Um, I am fatigued, but I know what lies ahead of me. You know, at the, at the same time, he's like, but I'm ready for more. I, I understand what this portion of the year means. And... You know, he was asked, you know, scheduling-wise, and, like, is he still, with all the matches he played, does he still find joy in tennis? And he said yes and no, and, you know, there's, he's just, like, it's it's very stressful. You know, sometimes you're out there hitting serves and whatever, um, and it's just a lot. But, I, again, he, he was asked about his doubles partnership and, you know, why he's, he, why, uh, why, you know, the partnership with Kyrgios, why it happened, and he talked about how he, he just so enjoys being around Nick because they're such different personalities. They approach things so differently, and he loved that perspective. It was really interesting to hear him talk about that, and so I asked him the follow-up with those two things. You know, you're fatigued, and yet you're still playing doubles with Nick. Uh, don't those se- things seem to contradict themselves, and, you know, why would you continue to play doubles? And he talked about, look, I, he just really enjoys being out there, and he really enjoys the aspect of you know, playing in a joyful way, doing something for him on the tennis court, not for his pro career, but just for him personally to seek enjoyment. And I think for players, it's really important you have that sort of output. So I, I really enjoyed hearing his answer there. Um, but yeah, Stefano Tsitsipas, he looks I mean, physically big guy. That's the thing you think about all, you see them on TV and you're like, oh, they're average. No, they're, they're professional athletes. And you can tell this, but gets back to the Ty Tucker theory of maybe we got to get these guys in tighter clothes, show off those muscles because 
unbelievable how jacked some of them are. Djokovic walks in in his Lacoste, you know, shirt and pants. I'm like, oh my god! It's, I was like, that is Novak Djokovic. That's what I expected to see. Uh, did they just also have such good posture? That's the big thing. Maybe it's just my posture's terrible, but I'm like, damn, that's a, that's a straight back. Um, and then the last guy who came in, Alex Zverev, and look, it was late in the day, so a lot of the media had left. It was just me, Scott Coulson, and one other in the room with Zverev for eight, you know, like six to eight minutes. And because we had that exclusive interview, we have video of it, audio of it. I am not going to get into that now. Again, I'm plugging the website here. Got to juice this content for all it's worth. Um, but you definitely want to check that out because we talk about the next-gen crew. We talk about his season, the ups, the downs, how he gets ready for this hard-court push because, you know, again, openings are available for him. Check all that out. The website, CrackedRackets.com, Twitter, Instagram, at CrackedRackets, YouTube, all of that. Yeah, you know the deal by now. Uh, we have a, a loaded day of play on Monday. I, you know, so many matches. I could get into all of them, the ones that really stick out. I mean, it's the round of 64, but Murray Gasquet, him making his return. Opelka Chorich, must-see TV. Kasmanovich FAA, must-see TV. I'm going to be everywhere today, and I'm going to try and do some press uh, with the WTA players as well, but there's a lot of good tennis, and uh, you know, I don't want to miss it. For the women's side, again, fully loaded schedule. Katie McNally versus Mertens. Uh, I'm all about that. We've got Venus versus Lauren Davis. That'll be crazy. Sharapova risk. That'll be fun. Wozniacki, Yastremska. Oh, 8.30 on the grandstand. Okay, you know where I'll be tomorrow night. Um, but with that being said, can't end without giving a huge shout-out to our super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westoff, who, have, as always, have a fucking editing job to do. If you've missed any of the action, again, check out the website, CrackedRackets.com. You know the podcast by now. Twitter, uh, the podcast is not called Twitter, the podcast. The Cracked Interviews, Great Shot Podcast. This one, like, rate, subscribe, review, share with your friends. And again, we want to hear what you have to say. So any comments, if there are certain matches you want us to cover throughout the day, tweet at us, uh, Instagram at us, whatever. Let us know, and we will do our best. But with that being said... For my super producers, Max Fligner, Daniel Westhoff, and for our entire team at Cracked Rackets, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin, and you know what we say to end this podcast. That's the break, and we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.